I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I thought that was going to be... I think be, you were flat. Uh, yeah, I, I was flat. <laughs> In my head, that was going to be cooler and funner, and it just ended up... Just well, we just didn't have any backing track. No, Next time we'll get the, the choir. I don't think you know the choir, right? Uh, what? Which choir? The, the Brentford choir. No, <laughs> and they can just like line up around and harmonise us two <laughs> singing the F one theme tune without getting copywritten. It's I think absolute. what we need to do is come up with our own after our, the flag. Oh, oh my god! Anyway, hello one and all, <laughs> and welcome to After the Chicken Flag, our F1 special series here on the Behind the Glass podcast. You're joining myself, Sam, from Seeing Through Glass, and Paul from Supercars of London. Hello. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll have noticed Paul just picked up one of the items I have on yeah. the table today. Now, regular viewers of After the Chicken Flag will know that usually we have a sort of an, an array of hats, team F1 hats on the desk. I forgot them at home. Oh. Because obviously last week we recorded at home. Yeah. And I took all the props they've with me. There. And they've stayed there. Yeah. So I was running around the studio today being like, oh my God, find <laughs> F1 things. Luckily I had a couple of other hats. This hat doesn't come out very often. I was thinking that you had renovated the studio for episode three. <laughs> Unfortunately, maybe that's what I'm going to have to do. Yeah. This is going to become a theme every week, new props. Uh, again, sorry for audio listeners, of which I know there are many of you. Um, I'm going to try and make this as descriptive as possible um but i just pointed out a hat that doesn't make a lot of appearances because this is one of my collectibles oh. to be nerdy so uh, i do have another version that people would have noticed but this is michael schumacher's 1994 world championship hat so benetton hat with the decra um sponsorship uh black with the kind of stuff at the front so like a limited and, edition it's yeah, not actually is, signed by him with a sharpie no it's stitched no on. it was yeah it was released as i guess a sort of production thing but they're rare and they're hard to find and do you know how much this cost me oh my god Guess. Seventy-five pounds. Oh, three hundred and fifty quid. What? Uh, <laughs> and it sits there gathering dust. So it doesn't come out very often, but it is now taking pride of place right in front of my laptop here on the Let's desk. Hope that's got up in value. <laughs> I don't think so. I feel like I got ripped off. On the other side is an Ayrton Senna cap. Uh, Paul was just picking up a, an amazing piece, which was actually mm. sent to me by a behind-the-glass listener. Oh wow! Which is a sort of Mercedes. I think it's a gearbox. Uh, it's two thousand fourteen uh, race used gear from race Lewis Hamilton's gear. car. Super That's, cool. Yeah. I mean, that came from a viewer, so amazing. Keep that on. Uh, and then a Ferrari mug in the centre because, well, what is Seeing Through Glass <laughs> without some kind of Ferrari merchandise somewhere in shot? And what is the F1 22 oh, 2022? Oh, that would have been good if I'd nailed yeah. that. But what is the 2022 <laughs> season without a bit of Ferrari? My God. On the podium. On the podium. We are here to discuss, react, review the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, which just took place the second time we've been in Saudi. Mm. Second time in four months, kind of case. <laughs> yeah. And the second race of what is, I don't want to say it, but shaping up to be a very exciting season. I'd like to say a tantalizing season. Yes. Oh my good God. I think the one thing which we can just go straight in at is the fact that it does seem like the promise of 2022 cars being able to race closer, follow each other more closely, is proving to be true. Don't you agree? I mean, the the racing, whilst we might get into it a little bit later on, was different styles of racing than we've seen before. It was close. I mean, we, we, we had action. Oh, it, was, it was so exciting. I was watching it, actually, like... Seeing as I've come in and become a Formula One fan during this hybrid era properly. Now, when I was 10, 11 years old, I dabbled with Formula One. 
I was interested in it, and that's where my love of cars has come from. However, delving into race weekends, watching qualifying, watching practice really has come in the hybrid era as Lewis has come in and dominated. I feel like I was watching a different sport this weekend in the way that the cars were able to, as Jensen Button said, fight back. Now, in previous years, if a car is faster, they wait until the DRS use DRS to squeeze past the car. Every now and again, you get a little bit of wheel-to-wheel action for one, maybe two corners if we're lucky. And we watched for the first eight to ten laps, the two pink cars, the two Alpines, fighting like I haven't seen, I don't think, in the time that I've really been a Formula One fan. And to see that this is the second race of the season because it's very easy to compare Saudi Arabia Grand Prix from last year and Saudi Arabia don't basically because they are not fighting for the same as what they were last year um there's a lot less at stake at the moment um but the way that those cars drove the way that Leclerc and Max battled the way that the Alpines battled and what we saw with cars being able to follow especially through that first sector where the corners are insane I was so happy that they had made these regulation changes and just even more grateful that this has happened now and I think a lot of drivers reference it being like a go-kart race yeah. rather than Formula One race because you're so right you hit the nail on the head previously for decades now once that overtake had been made, that was it, it was done. Mm. You had the build-up, you had the catching phase, then you had the sort of few laps where the person was sizing the other person up. But once they got through, nine times out of ten, that was it. You were like, oh, he's done it, yeah! Yeah. You know, and that's it. By the end of the lap, he was already a second ahead. And we saw that time and time again, where it seems like this year, throughout the field, just because you get past doesn't mean it's done. Mm. You know, it's, it's so hard to then keep that position, which... I think it's frustrating for the drivers, but makes it exciting and is like, as they say, go-karting because being able to stretch out that advantage once you've d- gained that place isn't easy to do. And I genuinely think without, well, we saw it with Verstappen and Leclerc, without that yellow flag towards the end, Leclerc could have had a chance. He had a much yeah. better run when he were going in, into the first turn and the yellow flags came out. That was Leclerc's best run on Verstappen. And realistically, last year, if Verstappen had taken the place like he did, he'd be gone. Mm. There was no chance Charles was coming back. Yeah. But no, you thought going into those last three, four laps, you're like, oh my God, he can get it, it keep, back. It keeps your eyes locked on. Absolutely. But the question which we'll have to wait and see is, is it going to slightly start to become, not gimmicky, but is it going to change the way that drivers go racing? So we saw, for example the sort of the fight to not get DRS. (laughs) And this is something we spoke a lot about after the Bahrain Grand Prix. And I think it's something we're going to speak about a lot more Mm. where obviously many drivers, but especially at the front, Max versus Charles, neither of them wanted (laughs) to have that DRS moment. You know, they, 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 neither of them wanted to get past. Sorry, I'm not analyzing it correctly. Neither of them wanted to be ahead. In front. Uh, is that right? At uh, the DRS trigger zone. No, no, they both want to, yeah, no one wants to just, be front. There just, you go, yeah, yes, yeah. sorry. So they're both trying to be behind. Just before the final corner. There you go, exactly. Which actually was a problem in Saudi last year. Absolutely, we, and we Max saw that with Max give the position Lewis. back to Lewis, and, they, and he, wanted to do, he didn't want to do it then because he knew that then he wouldn't have DRS. I think it wasn't so obvious back then. People didn't quite exactly realise mm. what was going on. But now, just after the back of Bahrain, we're starting to really see that these drivers are really thinking about that DRS line. And I think it was Charles was far more, seemed to be thinking about that f- quicker than Max was. Yes. Uh, and then Max went, oh yeah, okay, cool, yeah. <laughs> Cheers, Charles. Yeah. Thank you, I figured out how to overtake you now. Uh, not to say that Max doesn't have an amazing uh, race craft uh, on his day as well. well how many times have you said he doesn't? <laughs> Too many times for this podcast, which is why I'm trying something different. Um, but yeah, so that's that's my only thing, is that are we, is it going to start to become a bit crazy and silly as mm. the year goes on with drivers not wanting DOS in certain times, constant back and forth? I think it's exciting. I think it's great. I am all for go-kart-like Formula One races and the chance for a Leclerc to overtake Max again in the last three laps or whatever it might be. But 
Yeah, could it could it get to a point later in the year where they're all ducking and diving and trying to and not actually racing to the not flag. actually racing to the chicken flag because they're just it's so strategic about how and when you overtake. Maybe that's good, but I don't think what we saw in terms of Max and Charles locking up mm. to try and outplay each other. I don't think that was necessarily that great for Formula One. That was a little bit silly. I thought yeah. at that moment. Yeah, I think um, at the moment the Formula One gods who are orchestrating a hell of a lot with the regulation changes, how they're trying to bring Formula One to a mainstream audience and grow it as a, as a brand and, as a, and have a, a higher value, um, is that I kind of see them blindly like twisting cogs until one clicks into place and then something else is going to move. And I think what you're describing is them just twisting the cogs. They've now got the cars to be able to follow. But they've now created a slight problem in the sense that these drivers are now having to play their chess piece moves very early on in the race that could potentially not have a knock-on effect later on and, like you said, become a little bit gimmicky. Um, Obviously, it being the second Grand Prix of this season, it's exciting to see. However, 15, 16, 20 races in... Um, as the championship becomes a lot more at stake and everyone's fighting for those all in, all important points to win the world championship, are we going to see even more ridiculous moves? Um, you can probably expect it. Yes, <laughs> I think it's probably but, the, way that, the way that I was going with that. Yeah, let, let's see how it all shuffles out. These, these guys are learning the cars, learning how to race them and, and utilise them. And, it, and it's, it is, as a viewer, it's exciting. But what is not exciting <laughs> is the coverage we've been getting the first two races. Now, I'm so glad that I wasn't the only person complaining about this last night, but I, I sort of felt I was going back to my high horse or sort of vi- TV production, but then I saw loads of people. I was like, great. I don't know who is directing the F1 coverage this year. And just to clarify, F1 still basically creates all their own coverage that they feed out to people like Sky, Germany, Sky, UK, Sky, Italy, etc. Um, I can't remember who's showing ESPN in the US now and um, France and Italy, whoever you might be watching, the actual footage of the race is coming directly from Formula One. And there is a sort of central director who creates that, that sort of feed for all of us. For some reason this year... And I genuinely think this is off the back of Netflix. Mm. They've gone, we need to incorporate more angles and different angles. So it's not just this raw footage. So constant shots or cuts to the crowd and excitement. Playing a fake crowd noises. Have you noticed that? No. Oh my God. It's a bit like WWF wrestling. They're inserting fake cheers now at certain moments, which is not good. And then just awful decisions of moments of action showing endless replays like the mm. fight for the lead is happening yeah. and you're showing like 14 replays of the moment a second ago like just show us the action save all that for later so i've been really frustrated by the coverage for the first two races mm. and i really hope that's something that the f1 realize people aren't happy about and fix very quickly because they're trying to produce a live version of netflix yeah which is a not a good idea drive to survive is its own thing and should be its own thing and then you watch the season live, you can go and watch Drive to Survive at the end of the year to, to get your recap. But don't try and create that live because, oh, it's just, it's killer. It's mm. killer. There were some moments that we really, we didn't even see Verstappen celebrate across the line. Yeah. Because of fireworks. <laughs> I mean, who cares? <laughs> Did you see Lando Norris' reaction when the fireworks went off again when he was doing a post-race interview? No. He literally looked behind and was like, fireworks? Again? Yeah. Oh, that's so boring. <laughs> Can I just say, last year I attended Saudi Grove in Cornfield yes. last year. The fireworks are a joke. Are they? I mean, they must have been like 20 million, the fireworks. Oh my God. It went on for about half an hour last time. And like half an hour, like New Year's Eve for half an hour. <laughs> just the most insane fireworks. We are sitting there being like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, lots else to discuss about the Grand Prix. Not only the final finishing result. I guess we have to kickstart with Mercedes and and probably... I thought you were going to start with qualifying. Well... We can dive straight into Mercedes. I'm more than happy to talk about it. I mean, I don't like to dwell on qualifying too much on these podcasts because, you know... There was was some pretty major things in, obviously, Lewis out in Q1. Yeah. Mick Schumacher having the big crash. um, And then Georgie Russell kind of on song with that Mercedes or at least getting the most out of the car. 
We've summed it up. So okay, that's move, quite moving on. No, because I mean, fundamentally, that brings us on to the Mercedes story that I, I wanted to talk about. We, we will, of course, touch on Mick Schumacher. But yeah, I think fundamentally, I like we these don't to have be, to. I like these race reviews, race reactions. Okay, you know? like, it is after the checkered flag. Yeah. After all, do they drop so, a checkered flag though after, at the end of qualifying? They used to. They should. I'm yeah. sure they do. Mm. I'm sure. At the end of the if they don't bring it back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yes, um, that shocking moment of Lewis getting knocked out in Q1 on pure pace. Know. You know, there have been plenty yeah, of times yeah, we've yeah, seen with yeah. penalties and, and issues and crashes and whatever, but on pure pace, the first time since 2009, mm. which is a lot of long-term Formula One fans will remember was a was a tough year for Hamilton. You know, he won the championship in 2008. He'd had two years of insane success coming into Formula 1 as a rookie nearly won the championship in 2007 won it in 2008 and then McLaren just got it all wrong in 2009 mm. with their car design started the year really on the back foot uh, managed right by the end of the year to steal a couple of victories but in general it was a dodgy year for him and it, and it really feels like a repeat of 2009 as, as uh, you know if you've watched Hamilton's career trajectory for, for this long so yeah pure pace disaster whilst as you mentioned George Russell's up there probably getting the most out of the Mercedes package. I think we saw in Bahrain, Mercedes on their day are the third fastest team. So they're fifth and sixth. That race pace, race pace. Race pace, yes. Yeah, you're right, race pace. I think on quality pace, there's a chance for people to upset that flow. But as long as they get it right, they are fifth and sixth. What we're apparently learning is that car is insanely hard to set up. It has a minute setup window to operate in a way that it's not porpoising like mad that you can extract the performance. They got it wrong with Hamilton. They got it right with Russell. And we saw that meant a second deficit. Mm. You know, where realistically, up until that point, it's probably been a couple of tents between yeah. Hamilton and Russell. Shows how much the teams are learning about the car. Yes. Um, the fact that their two drivers, two cars are so spread out shows that um they've got a long way to they've got a long way to go and i don't think as we came into the um post bahrain grand prix talking about oh you know maybe like four or five races i genuinely could see the first half of this season being hit and miss with mercedes the question okay so uh, well first i just want to say as you mentioned Good job from George Russell. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he extracted, he did what he needed to do. Yeah. He extracted the most from the car, bought it home solidly in fifth. That's what the Mercedes can achieve. So, so good on him from there. Um, the question which I suddenly realised is my favourite stat for Lewis, my, my expert, you know, why is Lewis the GOAT? Mm. Is he's won in every single season he's competed in. Yeah. Now that's not a hard thing to do when you're in a competitive car, but 2009 is a perfect example of actually he wasn't in a competitive car. He still won a race. Mm. His first year with the Mercedes, they weren't that competitive. Okay, Rosberg won a couple of Grand Prix. Hamilton still managed to win a race. And there are plenty of drivers in competitive cars who haven't been able to match that kind of record. Could this be that first year? I don't see how Mercedes are going to get a victory this year. Really? Yeah. When, how do you see that? Where do you see that coming? Right at the end of the season, hopefully. <laughs> as Adrian Newey mentioned, I think at the end of the race, it's a development war, right? Mm. Ferrari and Red Bull are so evenly matched. It's now an all-out development war. Yeah. If they're going to be pushing forward and learning and developing their car as quickly as we expect them to do, how, how is, are Mercedes going to catch they're up? They're a second off. Mercedes are a second off the pace in, in race So it will probably end up being like one of those freak races that we will get because the season is so long where whether it's a, a driver um, sort of lack of concentration or fatigue, whatever you want to call it, put it down to a, a Monaco street circuit style Baku, where uh, we see a leader of the race um, retire or a group of them retire that meant something like Ocon would win Hungary. It's freak the chances are definitely or the sort of probability is stacked against Mercedes to win a, a Grand Prix this season. And like you said, it could be the season that they don't. Um, but you can't write off all of the anomalies of this is the longest ever uh, calendar year. Yeah. Uh, 23 most races, races, 22 yeah. at the moment, 23. They're looking to replace Russia. Um, so I would still put a lot of money on Mercedes winning a Grand Prix, whether it's Lewis or not, is again another thing because what we saw yesterday is with his grip between the teeth, George will show what he can do. And it's the consistency and also the moves that he pulled off yesterday in that car. He Absolutely. had no right to finish fifth. I think he did. Really? <gasps> 
Yeah, I think that's exactly where he should have finished. Oh. I think that's the performance of the car. Oh, no, where do you I, think I, he should have finished? Uh, no, 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 I thought he was heroic in some of the moves that he um, put on after the safety car, like in the first two uh, laps as well, putting the car in where he needed to. Where did he qualify? Sixth. Sixth. Was it sixth? Fifth? I, I definitely feel like I watched two or three I feel like Russell did nothing. I, th I feel like I, he drove an unbelievably consistent race just in fifth. No, 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 no. He definitely did. He definitely did some overtakes. The audience will back me up on this, unless I just watch the same replay over and over again. Which is who did he overtake? Highly likely, given the uh, directorship. Who did he overtake? I, I, I want to be corrected, but like, who did I he? I can't remember who he overtook, but he definitely did. Maybe, a, maybe an Alpine. Did he overtake Alonso? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm. You need at, that graph that shows. That, I know that's that's what I that's what I'm trying to find because in my mind, he he just had a really solid, solid race and performed like he needed to no, perform. No, 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 no. I, um, I think he put his car... Well, this is good content. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, so I'm not here to poo-poo George Russell, but I also had Paul DeResta being like, oh, it, what an amazing, what an amazing performance. George really outperformed that car, blah, blah. And I'm like... Uh, no, in my mind, I think he. I think he got a good start. I think he overtook an Alpine on lap one. Oh, this is so bad that we don't know this. We are useless. We, at our we, jobs. But we, but we okay, P six. Yeah, he qualified and he finished P fifth. So he must have overtaken Esteban Ocon. Yes, but I think then he just sat in P five, didn't he? Mm, I've still got a feeling that he jumped to place after the safety car as well. Whether the whether the um, pit stops spat him out and maybe he was in a faster car to get past but i do remember okay okay well i, I i'll give it to you i'll get i totally give it to you i'm, I'm sure he did and, and, I, and i think he's doing the job he needed to do but fundamentally that mercedes is quick on race pace we saw yeah. lewis being able to move through the field and mercedes say they're confident they didn't need to change anything in lewis's car they were confident on the day for the for the length of the race the car was was better performing um than what they saw at qualifying yeah and you know p15 he'd gone as high as what p6 with a few helpful p6 pit stops. Or p7 yeah yeah with some some helpful pit stops and then obviously realistically p10 i know everyone's like i oh, got unlucky with the safety car but but that was his strategy as well mm. you know like uh, that that's where he dropped down to and i think i think he was he was unlucky with the safety car and then he was unlucky with the pit entry being closed when Alonso and Ricardo basically broke down, yeah, on the pit entry. But the, but that was exactly it. You know, he, realistically, his his target was Magnussen, the only other person running yeah. on hards from the start. That was the strategy that they could match, and he he finished behind Magnussen. Mm. Realistically, I think he would have just finished ahead of him if yeah. he got lucky with yeah, that pit P, stop. P eight at best. Yeah, exactly. So you know, a good recovery, but and that suggests that there is race pace in that Mercedes. Um, but I think both of them, as long as they maximise what they do, they're going to be fifth and sixth. Mm, yeah. uh, and then, you know, if they get lucky, like in uh, Bahrain. A few podiums. Exactly. Mm. So we'll wait and see. But that was definitely the sort of, the big, you know, headline a thing. We a weekend to forget, shall we say? For sure. But I think there are going to be many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think there are going to be many. And yeah, and yeah for, from my mind, and you said it on WhatsApp when we were watching the race, it, it feels like, and I'm so ready for a post Hamilton era. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I, yeah. I want, I want Mercedes to turn this around. I want yeah. Hamilton to be right there. I cannot wait for him be the to be in Netflix that fight. Story. Oh my God. What a series. <laughs> um, I cannot wait for him to join that fight. And what, um, it would be amazing if he does, but I'm also totally comfortable and resigned to the fact that maybe this is not it. The Mercedes yeah. have got it wrong. And yeah. this means that he's going to be struggling around in fifth and sixth. Then that's that. That happens. Yeah. It happened to Schumacher. It's happened, happened, to, happened to Alonso. It's happened to all these great drivers. It has to happen to every elite athlete that they don't, unless you quit at the top and get annihilated for it for at least five years, like Nico Rosberg, yeah. um, which is literally like, oh, you quit at the peak. It's very rare that an, an elite athlete has got that foresight that there's only one way that you can go. But it's also, it's no not reflect on his performance. No. You know, like, like, like unfortunately, it's this is a team sport. And we've been having this argument with Tony on WhatsApp quite a lot recently. <laughs> is, you know, driver, driver versus car, car and driver, you know, what's the most important factor? For me, it's a team sport. Mm. The best drivers get put in the best cars. Yep. The best drivers extract the most out of those cars. But the best drivers are not going to win in a Williams at the yeah. moment. You know, yeah. fundamentally, you need the car that can make you win. And if you look at Verstappen and Leclerc, there's a reason why those are the two fighting at the front, not Sainz and Perez. The cars are 
theoretically the same. Okay, fine, you might get different setup changes or small upgrades here and there. But I think as we're going to see, as we've always seen throughout history, the best drivers extract the most from their cars, especially over their teammate or anything else. And so when you talk about Russell in a Williams performing amazingly, that's because he's adding performance to a car that doesn't necessarily have, that he's extracting absolutely every single ounce week on, week out. Gasly in the Alfa Tauri or Toro or so. You know, all those examples are proving great drivers. And so it's not all down to either, but fundamentally need the car to be good. And what we've seen is Hamilton, as great as he is, and he's not lost any of that talent. It's not like he's suddenly come back. He's like, oh, I'm just a crap driver now. <laughs> but there's only so much they can do. And if they get it wrong, they get it wrong. The car's slow. In Bahrain, he was there performing his best, managed to eke out a podium. Lucky with retirements, but he was there. And so anyway, let's wait and see. Um, it's going to be interesting, but a tough season ahead for them for sure. Also a tough season ahead, as we keep seeing, McLaren and Aston Martin. In fact, really any Mercedes-powered car, just, (laughs) they are not going to have a good time of it. They must have been thinking like two years ago, whenever their deal was agreed, that when the new regs came in, Mercedes engine was going to be their power unit. They must have been so excited. We got this now. Championships are ours. Think about the constructors (laughs) points. And, um... Oh, it's just it's just not looking good for them. And um, I was scrolling through TikTok this morning, which is actually where I get quite a lot of um, clips and snippets. People cut up the post-race interviews. And I got I kind of get like, a, and Lando Norris was just like, I mean, he got asked the question. It was like, surely the only way is up from here. And he went, well, actually, no, you can go down as well. So <laughs> I genuinely not entirely sure how much confidence he has in that car for this year, um, which is worrying because they are a real non-event. Like you just said, they're just kind of running at the back there. Also rounds. Yeah. Sure. Um, Aston Martin, Williams and McLaren. Mm, uh, they're also rounds. They're, yeah. they're down. They're not really doing anything. Not seeing any times of light, um, not bringing in any points. I mean, okay, Lando did manage to steal some good points here. But yeah. Yeah, I think it's depressing. Um, I don't know if any of them... They don't even even seem to suggest that they have fixes for them. Yeah. You know, at least with Mercedes, you kind of get an idea that the porpoising or, or the drag is what's really hurting them at the moment and that there's the potential to get on top of it and that the base package car isn't awful. Whilst McLaren and Aston Martin, you're like, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, how yeah. are they going to get that back? What have we done? But in the flip, I actually really like that last season and even before last season, Haas came out and said, we have not invested in the current car because we're putting all of our effort into the 2022 car. And to actually see that car fight, be in the top 10 and and having K-Mag pilot it and Lewis Hamilton to come out at the end of that race yesterday and say... I couldn't catch the Haas. Firstly, it's a sentence I never thought Lewis Hamilton <laughs> would ever say. But actually, I think it's just like seeing the rewards. I was really nervous that Haas was going to come in and still be at the back. But actually, to see them where they are um, is like, it, it warms my heart a little well, bit. Well, it's the good story for F1, isn't yes, it? With all yeah, this cost yeah, cap, it, with all these changes of the rules, with investment from America, all these different reasons... It's the story we wanted. It's the underdog. It's the underdog. It's the shake-up of the, the field. David versus the Goliath. <laughs> exactly that. Mainly because Gunnstein is such a character. <laughs> yeah. Without Gunnstein, I don't think anyone yeah. would have cared yeah. about that team. Um, but also Magnussen, is, he's come back a new person. Yeah. He just seems so happy and full of life and ecstatic to be there. And that's how F1 drivers should look uh, and, and appear. And, and I think that's brilliant. And it's making him a better driver, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, and you can actually see through you just saying that how Formula One drivers should be is how Kevin Magnussen is now. You really get to see drivers that are under pressure. You can almost like look into their eyes, read between the lines in their pre and post race interviews and see just how much pressure they're under and how much that's affecting their actual driving ability. Um, Because K Mag is a perfect example of how you can just sort of like give him the world and almost expect nothing back and just look at what he's doing. You're so right. I think it's refreshing to see. It's exciting to see. And I think there's very high chances of a podium at some mm. point in this, in yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mick Schumacher, t- tough weekend for him. A huge crash. Huge crash. <laughs> Monster. Uh, obviously a repeat of the crash he had last year, basically. So, <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like I said to you yesterday um, on WhatsApp, oh, like glad Mick Schumacher wasn't running in this race because how would he have looked in comparison to Kevin Magnussen? Um, I just think he would have crashed. Yeah, like I mean, in the race. It's it's a tough tough looking season for Mick. Mm. I, we're all hoping I think that he can get a few solid results. I'm still his- championing 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm still, oh, you're I'm saying still champion. I have hope. I have absolute I hope. I think I've got more hope than you. Maybe you do now. I did last year. Last year, I had all the hope. This year, I'm like, oh, this is not looking good. Um, so let's wait and see. But yeah, fingers crossed he can get some solid results in and start to build some confidence mm. and then and then be up there with K-Mag. Um, should we touch on Nicholas Latifi quickly? <laughs> I say whilst oh, chuckling. Yeah, because like I was kind of going after him last year for some sort of financial sponsorship and support because um, I think there was an element of... Um, bit of a joke that um <laughs> he was even in a in a seat and that sounds bad but there was like oh he's obviously got money because he's in a seat therefore like let's go after him for a little bit of marketing hello um so i was championing him however it's very difficult to this year yeah i mean is that three races in a row that he's he's created safety race result changing safety cars <laughs> yeah, in a row due to yeah, his Abu Dhabi, bahrain yeah. and now saudi i mean that incident in Saudi, I mean, he came on saying, "I don't know what happened." Yeah. I mean, of course you didn't, mate. I mean, it was he a crashed and qualified. It was a well. twelve mile an hour crash. Yeah, now he crashed and qualified. Yeah, crashed and qualified. And it was like he came into that corner and was correcting himself before the corner, as if he'd he'd got it wrong so so early. Um, and it just looks that race crash looks so avoidable. I mean, it just looked like a piss take. I mean, mm. it's literally twelve mile an hour crash, and it's one of the like one of those Instagram. Was it you that said it looked like a Ford Mustang leaving car show? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally <laughs> that. That's what it looked like. like someone's going, oh, "I'm going to drift it out of here." And it's got so <laughs> yeah, wrong. You get really excited. Traction off. Here we go. <laughs> and I saw Rory Reed tweeting, being like, "If someone, if I had done that crash, if it, someone would be like, oh, you can go and drive a Formula One car.' Yeah, and yeah. Like, you, I, you'd be ripped apart for the oh, rest yeah. of your life. So why are we giving the TV a break just because he's a Formula One driver? Yeah. Fine, there might be something mechanical, but it doesn't like look stupid. Mm. Look stupid, mm. and, and yeah, I mean that is you know the thing which I think it's highlighting is that these cars probably are quite tricky to drive, and if you're not on your A game, if you're not feeling confident and comfortable getting your head around how to extract the most out of them and stuff like that, maybe isn't as straightforward. And we're seeing it up and down the field that those drivers who are gelling quite quickly with these new cars are being able to extract the most from them. Um, but but those who are struggling are, are, are really struggling. And mm. Yeah, Latifi. Is this when you drop in that conspiracy that you... Uh... Oh, I can do if you want. I mean, uh, I didn't know if I was going to bring it up, but I will. No, I no, no. I, th- no. I, I, was, I was driving over here actually thinking that we should have what we call a new feature on the podcast. So oh, this, is what I, this is what I bring as a co-host. <laughs> 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 Fade out. Fade out. Welcome to the conspiracy corner. 
conspiracy <laughs> where every week we either get someone uh, a listener or an audience to send, to, in, to their send in a conspiracy okay, theory, I can't and like then we that. can like review it analyze it and actually i meant to say if you're watching the race and you want to participate in after checkered flag uh tweet us or, or instagram dm us you can use use hashtag behind the glass it's much easier because after the checkered flag <laughs> yeah so use up 70 percent yeah, exactly. use the hashtag behind the glass or dm us or, or whatever get in touch because we'd love us, to yeah yeah we'd love to interact with some of your thoughts and and hear what you're thinking about the race and what we what we're getting wrong um but the conspiracy i came up with which is really a conspiracy it's kind of a thought that i just want to put out there into the universe and feel free if you're watching here on youtube to comment below or if you're listening to tweet and, and message us after this is is there a chance that verstappen and hamilton got to a level that was so high last year in the 2021 cars they were so in tune with their cars so focused extracting the absolute maximum which they've both admitted they've done that actually it's taken them a tiny bit longer to reprogram themselves into the 2022 cars now you could say that Verstappen kind of you know defeated that theory yesterday with the race victory but he was out qualified by Perez for the first time in a long time yeah. by quite considerable margin in Bahrain as well, we could hear he was very frustrated. There have been moments where Verstappen doesn't seem his usual cool, calm and collected mm. self. I mean, not that he always is cool, calm and collected, <laughs> but most of the time when he's in a sort of race, you know, I don't know. He's just seemed a bit ruffled. I was, I was expecting him to be um, more dominant, I think is probably over the last two race weekends. I would fully back him to just get his elbows out and pile that car into turn one and, and take the lead whether he was whether it was his corner or not um i i do feel like whether he's like you say um not quite being able not being able to reprogram his brain because it's still somewhat in that 2021 car um it was interesting when you brought that to the table i was like oh, i'm here oh, i'm all here for any conspiracy um, I, it's not to say that i don't think they are still probably better than their teammates currently mm. Uh, yeah, Perez got that amazing pole, mm. lap of his life, as he said. But I think almost too much was made of this. That was the lap of his life. He will <laughs> yeah. never be able to do this again. Like, that <laughs> was the fastest lap he's ever driven. And you're not going to see that. I mean, yeah. be like, like yeah. guys, play it down. Like, he just... Anyway, so I do still think they're better than their teammates at the moment. And I do still think they can extract it. And they're world champions. They'll be able to apply themselves very quickly. But, yes, yeah, so far, the first two races of the year, they haven't been as dominant. Maybe we just got used to seeing them dominate the field last year it was a max max lewis show max lewis show. they were just miles ahead of mm, anyone else but now off. it's like oh hold on a second what like mm. verstappen's out qualified by perez and yeah how much is failing around fully I, I was fully expecting once max got pole or provisional pole that was it even just based on that last preseason test in bahrain the red bull you would say is the quicker car. oh it's the i think they're very evenly mm. matched but I don't know. There's just enough of an edge that you, I, I like you thought Max would have run away with those first two races. He got the the victory in Saudi, a well earned, well won victory, yeah. I think, but only by the skin of his teeth. And yeah, yeah, yeah. as I say, I mean they were all pooping themselves in that last lap. But I think two or three laps before, with if without the yellow flags, Charles would have got back past. Whether Max would have then re overtaken, there him, was, we don't know. There but. was a lot of team radio from the pit wall, the Red Bull pit wall almost telling Max how to drive. He was almost being, having his hand held around some of the laps to say, you need to back off the tyres, like we're going for the end of the race, that's when we're going to attack. Helping to coach him through. Yeah, yeah, which um, was interesting to listen to. Um, and there was also, there was one that was just like, get your head down, let us do our job and we'll let you do yours or something along those lines. I think we there missed- a bit of schooling going uh, on. Yeah, I think we missed something that Max had said or complained about. Um but yeah, going back to the beginning of this podcast and talking about the end of the Grand Prix, um, you, I just couldn't work out when those chess piece moves were played, whether it was a sort of gung-ho approach from Max that didn't really think about anything other than there's a gap, I'm going for it, or whether he did almost listen to what Leclerc said at the end of Bahrain, say, oh yeah, I just broke a little bit early, I just let him through because I know exactly what he was going to do. Whether Max kind of played that slightly more unreliable driver to to get that position and then keep it well the thing is which we saw is as as it all came to a head and and it was clear that there was going to be some racing for p1 <laughs> it seemed like the first time or first couple of times max was making the the obvious moves yeah, again yeah. and Charles was kind of 
almost schooling him a bit, you know, especially with that extreme braking. I mean, I think it was the safety car restart where, you know, Max is so aggressive on these yeah, safety car yeah. restarts. You know, he gets right alongside that other driver. And Risking putting his car ahead. Literally. And I think Charles was a bit like, all right, man. Yeah. Uh, and, and got him, pushed him right out to the edge just before that final hairpin. And there were just moments in that build-up where it seemed like Charles was like, all right, mate, mm. like, cool. And, and felt like he really had a handle on Max. And I think even the commentators mentioned it. I think Button and Crofty said like, you know, this is, I feel like Charles got it. But then Max, much more acutely than, astutely, sorry, than Bahrain was like, okay, I see what's going on here. We can both play this game and managed to get the upper hand on it. But only because he probably was quick at that point. Like, there wasn't much more Charles could do, but that third or fourth attempt, they both knew what they were trying to do. What, but, what it, could but, do? but imagine if Max, having seen the post-race interview of Leclerc and almost Leclerc showing his hand as to how he drove to counter Max's uh, racecraft, Max knew exactly what he was going to do. Obviously didn't know how the race was going to play out, but coming into those last final 15 laps, I'm sure Max played his cards and, and moved those chess pieces perfectly to think or make Leclerc think that he was going to do exactly the same as, as Bahrain. But so, he did. Yeah, yeah. The first time around, he of did. Course, <laughs> it, but it worked because he was able to overtake him. Well... Because you, cause otherwise, he, if he hadn't had changed his strategy to actually get make the move and get past Leclerc, he would have ended up doing the same thing. He would have just done the same move, same move, same move, probably wiped his tyres out and then ended up P2. Yeah, but I, I, so I think, think he played. I think he played a blind. I think I will um, champion Max's intelligence uh, to um, to to make Leclerc think. I know how Max is going to drive. I know how he's going to try and overtake. I know exactly what I need to do to bring this race home, and it didn't work out because Max knew what was but, going on. Uh, it did. Uh, if he did that, it's the ultimate bluff. Exactly. Well, no, but but you you say exactly. The the fundamentals were once Max figured out what Charles would do, was doing uh, uh, regarding that DRS line, which, as you mentioned, is exactly what we saw. Tw- well, four months ago, about so twelve. So Max ago. already four, knew that. Four, was a, already that was a trigger that, point, but seemed to fall for it. Uh, you know, that first couple of times was still falling for it again, and then the ultimate bluff. No, but you say the ultimate bluff. What did it win? Because fun- he won the race. No, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but but he didn't need to do the bluff. Like, okay, first of all, he tries the overtake. Yeah, he might as well try it. See see how it unfolds. If Shaw gets back past, he goes fine. So second time round, he goes right. Okay, so that didn't work. So I need to play the DRS game. Oh crap! Shaw's playing the DRS game as well as we expected. We both broke. Haven't quite managed to do it. Third time round or fourth time round, once he'd been able to build up the courage again, he'd position his car perfectly enough that even with Charles backing off, Max backed off enough that Charles knew at this point, okay, I've got to, I've got to keep the momentum going. So I don't necessarily think that was Max being like, my long game here is I want to be in four laps time. I want to be heading to this corner. And, but I think he, I think he got to where he got to by power of elimination. I think he tried the overtake, didn't work. Tried the DRS thing, didn't work. Thought, okay, right. So now I've just, now I've tried the first two. I've just got to make sure that Charles goes into that corner before me. No, so I'm going to play the Max fan card. Ah, uh, bore off. <laughs> no, no, no. Because if Lewis had done what Max had done in that race, we would be g- g- applauding him for his racecraft. Uh, and I, I, know, okay. and I know that we've seen his racecraft yeah. and, his, and his strategy to position the car lap after lap after lap to make that move stick. But what does Leclerc think now, going into the next race? Now that he's experienced a really predictable max and then gone and almost slagged his racecraft off to be like, all that to do was break early. And he fell for it. Going into this race, Leclerc didn't really know what to do. After the second after the second lap, he was also quite helpless. Now for the third race, Max has got him right where he wants because Leclerc will have no idea how it's going to play out. No, but I think I'll know exactly how it's going to play out. I think I think the three laps were totally predictable. It, as I say, it's lap one, try the traditional mm. overtake. Doesn't work because mm-hmm. the DRS is too strong. Lap two, try and make sure you don't get the DRS. Didn't work because you 
Charles saw it coming. Lap three, position yourself perfectly well enough so that Charles can't break and put you in helpless. Front. Helpless, and everything. So helpless, Charles. But, but Charles would have seen that coming. It's not like Charles like, oh my god, how has Max done this? <laughs> no, no, no. But Charles would be a... sitting there being like, oh my god, oh my god, how am I going to get in front of me? I just, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to have to try and and carry. I'm all not the pace saying that the, by lap three it was still an element of surprise that Max would get past him. He just backed Leclerc into the corner. Which is, you're right, fantastic racing, but only by power of elimination. Mm. What Char- what Max should have done is gone, right, four months ago I was here and Lewis and I ended up crashing into each other because of this DRS line. <laughs> and throughout this race, I've kind of realised where the straight line advantage is and blah, blah, blah. So, you know what I should do is just pace myself, keep that freaking gap and no, just get him done. Get no, it done in one move. no. Because, Why? because it will it will almost like um, lead Leclerc into a false sense of security. You make that move the first time. I'm not saying that it needed to take three laps. I think Charles played it very well on the lap two. I think Max was always going to go for that gap on the first on the first attempt to get through. But that was to make Leclerc believe that he was going to continue to drive how he drove in Bahrain. I think if if the, <laughs> if the opportunity had arose on lap two. I think the fact that they locked up and they were both terrified of that DRS um, trigger, um, that wasn't necessarily planned from either of them. That was just reactive from Leclerc to to make sure that... But don't you... Don't you th- on lap three, whether it was lap two or lap three that Max would have got past him, Max played that dumb first move to lead Leclerc into a false sense of security. I think that was, I I think that was intelligent driving from Max. I think <laughs> I he played that chess piece there because now Leclerc didn't, Leclerc lost the race. Yeah, I agree. Like he couldn't go into his post-race interview talking about how he, how he was able to make Max look silly again. But he was, he did make him look silly. <laughs> no. Because the second time around, Max went you to the exact fell, same, You fell no, for it too. Ma- Max went for the exact same overtake he did on lap one. Yeah. Charles slammed on the brakes. Yeah. And so Max was like, oh crap. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'll slam on the brakes too. The exact same thing. Four months ago, they were in the exact same scenario and Max didn't think, oh, maybe I need to, do this slightly differently this time around. Yeah, so do you Instead, not think those experiences he learned from? No, because you're saying it's like <laughs> created this uncertainty with Charles. He's going, what's Max going to do? He knows exactly what Max is going to do because that was how to get the overtake done. If you were the thinking man, you know how to get the overtake done without... I, I get first time. I totally get the first time round. Just go for the overtake and see how it runs out. Because why not? If you've got the fastest no, It wasn't car. a case of seeing how it runs out. No, but I think he genuinely... Max thought... There's a gap. I'm going for the overtake. I'm a racer. Done. And okay, he didn't know if Charles was going to come back at him or not. He didn't. He didn't know at that stage. He thought I got to go for the overtake. That I totally get. But lap two, and then further after that, when I personally think the more astute racer. Well, that's a. I don't want to say more astute racer because Max is a fucking great racer and he won and the world, race and a world champion <laughs> and a world champion. But. You, your point, the, the bit I disagree with what you're saying, because you, you might be right, but the bit I disagree with what you're saying is that this has now created this uncertainty with Shaw. He doesn't know, and what's Max going to do next? Oh my God, Max has got this massive uphand on me now. That I totally disagree, because fundamentally, Shaw didn't really have many options. Max was so much faster in a straight line. Shaw's only play was to try and use that DRS line again, like a lot of the other drivers were doing throughout the race. And fundamentally, by the end there wasn't much more he could do because Max Max had also worked that out and knew <clears throat> as long as going to that final hairpin, Max was still behind Charles, that was it, we were done. And so once that, like, it was then a, what, what can you do? Charles was like, well, I, I've just got to give it my best. I've got to just freaking hope that I nail this corner as perfectly as possible, get enough drive out of it and I can somehow so, stay in touch. Okay, the next race, if Verstappen is six tenths behind Leclerc <laughs> and they're coming into a corner where uh, the drivers know that there's an opportunity to overtake. You're telling me that Leclerc won't know or will know that Max is going to go for that gap. I think because they've raced together for so long and they know each other's stars, which is Max. The reason that Max is as successful as he is and the Ma- people have, uh, people support him so much is he's an out and out racer. He just, his thought is overtake and he's usually brutal and aggressive with it and that can have huge rewards. Well, Leclerc can be a lot more, well, can think about a lot more. He's also equally as aggressive, but can sometimes play that thinker's game. I think based on their experience, Charles knows Max's style tends to be 
go for the overtake. Figure yeah. it out later. But, go now, for the but now he'll question it. Why would he question it? That's exactly what Max just did. Yeah, as a bluff. No, mate, not as a bluff. There's nothing to question. Like, there's like, <laughs> why would you question? Because Leclerc came out so arrogant at the end of Bahrain that his driving style meant that Max just lunged every single time, which meant that Leclerc could win because he was able to get him back on the on the next uh, DRS zone. So throw that bluff in on the first attempt from Max, as in go for the go for it, and Leclerc wins the position back. Leclerc's there going, oh my God, he's doing it again. <laughs> what, what an idiot. I, but, and, and obviously now the result was Max won. Yes. No, no. Hey, look, so, you are right. Max won. Like, fun, <laughs> fundamentally. And now what I'm saying is throughout, especially the next race, if they are fighting for um, the lead, I don't think Leclerc is going to be as confident as he was in Bahrain, break early, he'll go for the gap. Is what I'm saying. Okay, I'm ag- now I'm agreeing with you. I, I'm totally agreeing with you that, that throughout this season, if we're going to see these two head-to-head, they're going to have to evolve how they mm. race with each other. And yes, by Charles coming out and sort of being so open and cocky about Bahrain, surely, yeah, Max would have been a bit like, oh, I may like, yeah, yeah. I'm not that straightforward. And you could be right, this could be an absolute masterplay from Verstappen, but... I don't think that's Verstappen's natural racing technique. I think it's just speed, aggression, absolute genius balls to the wall racing. Um, So I expect up and down the field, and a lot of drivers spoke about this, how to overtake and keep the position is what's going to dominate racing in 2022. It is no longer like just get the move done. It's now where you get the move done, how you get the move done, and And how how you can build that gap quickly enough. And so that may mean that it's not the obvious places. The obvious places to overtake may not actually result in getting that that position. And so I think both of them are going to have to be thinking about that. In For me, and this is not me, I'm trying to, if this was any two drivers, everyone's going to be like, <laughs> oh, you just hate Max, give him a break. For me, Max is just get the overtake done and see what happens. Like I'm quicker, just get the overtake done. Well, I think Charles currently is thinking, Okay, where's the DRS? Where's this? How do I build this gap? That's what apologies I, for that. That's actually, what <laughs> That's what I think. You that's what you'd like to think. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could be totally right. You like to think that Max was suddenly this genius who was yeah. sending all these bluffs left, right, and center. But to me, as a Charles fan, you're coming at it from a, as a Max fan, as mm. a Charles fan, I still think Charles made Max look a bit silly, especially with all those lockups, the safety car restart. By the end, there was only so much Charles could do, which mm. wasn't enough because Max did have that insane pace advantage in a straight line. Um, we're going to have to wait and see. It's going to be fascinating because these who have been racing for years and they know each other so well and they're clearly mates, yeah. which is what's great. And it's actually a really exciting rivalry for the sport. Last year, we saw two drivers who <laughs> despise each other, two <laughs> teams that despise each other. It was so... They both got out of the car and almost were like, that was epic. Like, yeah. They loved it. It was just... Um, it was what's called toxic last year. Yeah. Lots of toxicity mm. where this year there's a general sort of, woohoo. Yeah. Now that might fall <laughs> yeah, apart. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. That you wait until the apart. final quarter of this year and they're three points apart. Let's you'll hope. see the, you'll see the, the raging ball, like the red. Yeah. I, you're totally right. And it's, uh, see how many incidents are going to happen. <laughs> Charlotte incident. Um, anyway, uh, uh, an exciting race. I mean, sorry for Sergio Perez. Unfortunate with his safety car. Oh, but, that was just the worst. Luck. But then where was the pace? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Sergio. I do like you, but <laughs> where was the pace? Um, and apart from that, I think Ocon, star, hidden star. Yeah. Yeah. P6 did great. Great battle with Alonso. That was that was that, that was really cool. And to, to hear the live pit wall say, oh, yeah, we haven't spoken to the drivers yet. We haven't told them not, yeah. not to race. Like that's exactly how it should be. Race two. Yeah, on, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. What's, what, to what's to lose? Obviously two cars written off into the wall, but anyway. Uh, Alpine, to lose. <laughs> oh, 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 we haven't touched <laughs> upon my uh, factory tour of Alpine actually. Oh yeah, you yeah. went last week. I've got uh, all of the scoops. <laughs> Welcome back to Conspiracy Corner. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the theme. So they've got, they've got two headquarters. They've got one in France, which um, 
is focusing on like the drivetrain and power unit. Um, I went to the British headquarters, which is in the wonderful Cotswolds. Endstone. Yes. So home of Benetton back in the day. Uh, yeah. And so they focus on the chassis. Shashin aer- aerodynamics? Is it uh, a wind tunnel? Yeah. yeah. Uh, did I see a wind tunnel? I didn't see a wind okay. tunnel. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, they outsource it. I don't know yeah, if they have their own. Yeah. Um, but it was really interesting. And you know what was amazing was the insight into the ops room. This was my this was my favorite room where um, the UK slash non circuit personnel will pile into this room. They have it's like Iron Man's office where there's TVs up on the wall that have live streams of Ocon's garage, Alonso's garage, 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 garage. (laughs) They've um, got all of the track telemetry, and then they've got the live feed from Formula One. Um, and then they've got the team on the on-site team briefing room on live stream as well. So they can see the engineers at the track working. They can see the two garages, the pit crew, and they can see everything. They've got their uh, computers in front of them where they do all these calculations and obviously are working incredibly hard, but the communication was the coolest thing ever because they get data from track anywhere in the world, six milliseconds after it happens. Wow. Wow. So they are in the UK getting information and data from Saudi Arabia six milliseconds after it happens. Is that AWS or who's providing that? There's a company that does all that actual data sending. Uh, It might be. It's one of the partners, Um, one of the F1 partners, I remember. But in that room, you, I felt cool. And I can imagine being an employee and being someone important enough um, that is influential enough, obviously, to be within the Formula One team, to be sat in the ops room during race weekend, you would feel uber cool. Right in it. Yeah, and there was um, a, like a clean a clean room where they circulate air every 90 seconds, so there's no dust, and everyone in there is wearing these overalls and gloves and shoe things that basically means that there is 0% chance of dust in wow. the room where they're working on aerodynamics, carbon fiber. Wow. And these guys in there, um, it really like broke down the barrier and you got to see how many people are behind fundamentally a midfield team with um, a reasonable budget in the grand scheme of things. So God only knows what the likes of Red Bull, for I can imagine Ferrari is like your Disneyland yeah. going into <laughs> Ferrari's ops room where they're all in red overalls. Like it is cool going to Marinello and seeing salami and cheese everywhere (laughs) (laughs) and red wine (laughs) Um, but it was it was it was properly cool and I then went and drove the um, Alpine A110 GT and A110S the A110S has got is the embargo from that lifted um, it hasn't, but I'm not going to talk about the driving. Sure, okay. Just, <laughs> just looking looking after your legality there. <laughs> I didn't sign anything. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but the aerodynamics is built in the same wind tunnel, I believe, as the Formula One car. Oh, wow. Okay, and fair it's, play. And, and it's sub 60 grand, brand new. Like, well, you've been paid to say this. No, 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 no. Like, I was, am- I was amazed yeah. and fascinated that a two-seater sports car could be manufactured and sold brand new that cheap. There's no other car of that package and definitely no other car that's that's linked and underneath the same umbrella as a formula one team so i just thought as i was driving it it put a smile on my face cool thing. it was cool it was they a cool, very cool yeah, cars, yeah often overlooked i'm i'm looking forward to having going the new one when i get when i get a chance but um well thank you for that insight that's inside right, scoop yeah. not much conspiracy in there but still no, very cool. no, yeah, yeah. No, I, but i do i just call that the inside scoop <laughs> <laughs> We really need to get a band to come up with some theme tunes. Like I said, just the Brentford Choir. Yeah, I'll work on that. I'll do something. I'll work on that. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, very excitingly, I think next race, Australia. Back in Melbourne. I've missed that race. Often chaos. Mm. I mean, one of those, you know, it's because it is a street circuit as well. A lot of changes have been made to that circuit. Yeah, I saw, I, I, again, I saw TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> um, so really intrigued to see how the cars get on there. Um, but I, I always I always like it as a, as a race weekend. I think, so. uh, but I think that there's something in uh, Australia being the first race of the season. So there's always that connection of seeing the cars line up at the beginning of the season. And it's normally like 5am in the UK as well. So it's a really early start. Um, You're on the energy drinks early or the coffee uh, in your case. Um, I'll be really intrigued to get a vibe for the atmosphere as a viewer 
as it being the third race in. Whether that changes, sure, because when the lights start going out on the first race of the season, there's just a, an extra level of excitement to it all. Uh, but I'm still excited to see everyone back in Australia. As if, like, I've been there before. Yeah. Oh, my good old hometown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, I'm excited. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's going to be amazing. And it will be another chapter in what's turning out to be a pretty cool story for 2022. Ooh, yeah. So if you want to hear all of our thoughts and reactions to that race, make sure to subscribe now to the Behind the Glass YouTube channel. Turn on notifications so you don't miss say, yeah. future Click episodes. Uh, plenty of uh, main uh, podcast episodes to come as well uh, with Tony. Uh, if you want to listen to us, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, podcast most podcast players actually and if you want to follow paul he's at wallace pjw on most social media platforms i'm at scene through glass on most social media platforms and yes after the ticker flag we'll be back with you in a couple of weeks post the australian grand prix oh yes bye-bye bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.